0: Among those born of women none is greater than John. I mean can you imagine Jesus saying that about you? <laughs> what a wild thing to have said about you. Among among those born of women none is greater than John. If Jesus talks that way about a person we should probably pay attention to that person and find out why is Jesus saying that? And since only women can have babies when Jesus says this, he really does mean that John is the greatest person ever born. And I think if you're, if you're drawing up a list of heroes, John, the Baptist should be on your list. John, the Baptist should be on your list of, of heroes, not just of the Bible, but of all time. But what made him worthy of such esteem from Jesus? What makes him a hero? What makes him the greatest to ever live? Well, we're going to look at that, but before we do, before we do, we want to talk about our church doing what John the Baptist gave his life to, and that is making disciples. That is preparing the way that is pointing people to Jesus. As a church, that's what we exist to do. Uh, I'm thankful for Jim as he presented those new members. We, we love and are thankful for the way that God has been adding to our numbers. And uh, we really believe that as we grow, we are growing so that we can make more disciples, that we can be Followers of Jesus and do what he's commanded us to do. And as a church, we know that that's our call. We know that's the call of every church. So we love to see more and more churches. We want to be a church that plants churches. So there will be more churches making disciples. And last week, we uh, provided a little more information to you, church, about our future in church planting. And we were really excited and really good news. And I want to just give a little more time to that today. So if you heard it last week, uh, this is similar information, but man, we just think it's that important. We won't spend as much time this morning, but we want you to know what's happening. So as a church, we are going to be sending out Ryan Smith and his family to plant in Elon in the summer of 2023. So we have about a year left with Ryan here on staff with us, which we're really grateful for. But we really believe that God has called him to that place in this time. And we're really grateful that we as a church will be able to send him well. We want to send him with people and resources and with uh, experience and also just with partnership. That we're not giving up on you. We're not sending you out and saying good luck. We're sending you out and saying we want to continue on together following Christ. So we hope to send them well, and we are really grateful for the way that Ryan's able to leave well. We have a residency program here at Provision Church, and in the fall we will have six residents that we are really excited about. Uh, Three who are currently on with us. It's a two-year program. Three who've been in for one year. Three that will come on for their first year of residency. Four of those residents are full-time college residents for us, so they'll be spending time learning and getting experience in kind of a classroom setting, but always spending a lot of time at Wingate University. So we're really grateful for that. So as Ryan rotates out of some college ministry and shifts into this church planting role, uh, we know that he has done a good job and God has provided for us in setting up systems and bringing people in to help us continue leading well at Wingate University. Two of the six are family ministry residents, which is really a blessing We'll have two family ministry residents full time next in this time in the fall. Uh, With all that said, um, we have a short video that we think puts a little bit of reality on this thing that seems like it's in the distance. So we want to show you this video again, and I'm going to invite Ryan back up just to say a couple quick words about what God's doing in His heart and at Elon. Would you watch this video with me?
1: In 1889, Elon University was founded as a Christian institution with 76 students enrolled. 133 years later, 7,000 students attend and roughly 98% of them are unsaved. Our heart is to change that. In the fall of 2023, Provision Church will send me, my family and a core team to plant a church with the hopes of bringing the truth to Elon, Burlington and Gibsonville, North Carolina. Alamance County is currently the sixth fastest growing county in the state of North Carolina and the fastest growing county in the Triad region. But while the population is exploding, the church is declining according to sbc data nine out of ten churches in the elon area are either plateaued or declining the decline of the church the growth in population and an unreached university all make this location an ideal one however what makes it unique is that the largest people group on the campus of elon are from the northeast which we know to be one of the least religious groups in the nation the Northeast once pioneered biblical Christianity in our nation. Yet over the past 100 years, it has been a major spiritual decline. Most believe the foundational reason for this was the introduction of false gospels into colleges and universities. Let's win them back. We recognize this is tough soil to plow. But as Genesis 18:14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And while the university provides a distinct mission field, we believe the church is to be intergenerational, made up of all kinds of age groups and people. Jesus is the hope for the world, and that's the church we bring that hope. How will they hear if we don't tell them? We are a Christ centered community, driven by the joy of the gospel, who make disciples who make disciples. So it was a little more awkward this week watching it. I said last week the most awkward thing ever for me was to come up after watching myself on video. It was a little more awkward this week, but no. Um, <laughs> um, again, I, I'll be really brief today, and I'm, I honestly, I'm just excited. I, I'm just excited. I really don't know what I'm going to say right now, but um, really excited for what God is doing here at Provision just at large. The fact that we can do something like this shows that God's at work and shows that disciples are being made. That is our mission. We're a Christ-centered community. We want to come together and be in fellowship together. Um, and we're driven by the joy of the gospel because of what Jesus has done for us, then we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians five fourteen says that the, the love of Christ compels us because God has loved us and God has cared for us. We want other people to experience what we've experienced here. And honestly, when, it get, when we come down to it, that's my heart. What I've experienced here is just incredible. And the fellowship in the community, the, the life group I'm in, uh, the college ministry that exists, uh, the family ministries that exist is just amazing. And we just want to replicate that. And we want other people to experience what we've experienced here. We believe that is the call. Um, so it's a blessing. So, again, I would say, as I said last year, and I cannot, or last last year, last week, thank you, church. Thank you for uh, loving people well. Thank you for loving me and my family well. Um, Mark kind of spoke to this a little bit. But we would say, when we ask about church planting, my heart goes right to discipleship. So you ask, well, why church plant? I would say a couple different things. We would say church planting is a, is a byproduct of biblical discipleship. So if we are making disciples who make disciples, we have two options. We either keep them and hoard them, um, or we send them. And our heart is to send them. And the reason for that is we see that in Scripture. We want to make disciples who make disciples, and we want to send them. We want to reach the nations. That's Matthew 28. So we have a high view of discipleship, and we have a high view of the church. When I preached a couple weeks ago, I went through 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is a pillar and buttress of truth. We represent truth as we live in unity. So Christ is the head of the church, and we submit to him, and we love each other well. And John 13, 34 through 35 says that by your love, church, they will know us. So we desire that. And then we have a high view of sending, which I've already spoken to. We are called to go. We are called to make disciples, Matthew 28, Acts 1. And as Mark mentioned, the residency really allows for us to do that. Uh, We have flexibility, um so I spoke last week to Cole. Um Cole's a guy I've been investing in. You guys know Cole. I've been investing in him for, for several years now. And uh just know he's qualified, know he's equipped. Um I've kind of jo- we've kind of jokingly said you're getting a better college pastor now, um now that I'm transitioning out. But not only Cole, Cole's been a blessing, but I think Quinn as well, and I think Quinn might be in here. I don't even know. But Quinn um is serving right alongside of us as well, and then Michael with family ministry. We've got two more residents coming on for college and another one for family ministry. Um, Alexis and Ashanti. So it's just been such a blessing, again, to be a part of all this. Uh, lastly, you heard a little bit of that with Elon University. I-, I said this last week, but trusted and reliable missiologists, which are people that study missions, would, would argue and say that the, un- the Northeast is now an unreached people group. And at this point, at least, I'm not called to go to New England or to New York. Uh, but in a way, they've been brought here for us. And so our heart, kind of our dream and our, our long-term vision um, is to reach those students from the north, and um, somehow, you know, show them some, some southern hospitality, I guess, but also to equip them, and to start a residency there, so that they're planting churches up north, and to win the north back for Christ. Um, we really believe that that can happen, that doesn't happen overnight, It takes a lot of work, a lot of prayer, and a lot of labors, and so I said last week, we're not promised anything, God has not promised me, or given me some grand vision that all this is going to work out, but we're going to try, and we're going to take risks for Christ. So we would love your prayers, church. We, I, I covet your prayers, and I mean that um, you know deeply. So last week we had a prospectus or some prospecti, pers- prospectuses, whatever that is. They're on the table in the lobby. Uh, this week, we, there's still those, if you weren't here last week, um, you can pick one of those up. That just kind of goes through the why, the where, speaks to Alamance County, the sixth fastest growing county in North Carolina. So the growth rate uh, is incredible there as well. So we feel with the university and the growth um, of the population as well as the church decline, it made it an ideal place for us to to plant a church after much prayer. Um, so that's our heart. We also have a frequently asked questions sheet in the lobby as well. Um, so we're, for the sake of unity, we believe, um, scripture speaks often to unity and we want to be eager to maintain unity as Ephesians four says. And so we've provided that for you as well. I know there's going to be a lot of questions. And so I believe there's eight or so questions and give some reasons as to why we're doing this. Um, obviously we are here. If you have any questions or any concerns or anything, we, we want to be unified in this decision and, uh, want to work with you on that as well. So, Again, thank you, church. Uh, I love you from the bottom of my heart and um, appreciate this this opportunity.
0: Thanks, Ryan. Would you take a second and join me as we uh, just continue to pray? I I hope you've prayed this week uh, for the Smith family and the Elon area as we challenged you to last week. We want to challenge you to that again this week. Continue praying for that family and for a core team to develop and for that area that God would be preparing them in advance. Would you, would you pray with me now for that? Father, we are, we are grateful that we know for a fact that you came for us while we were still sinners, that we had this great need that we could not take care of on our own, and you loved us in such a way that you came and took that need for us, that you took our sins on your shoulders and you died on that cross and you rose again so that we could be with you forever. God, we praise you for that. We thank you for the future that we have with you. We thank you for the way that you've redeemed, even our present. God, we ask that now as we prepare to send a church to the Elon area, that as we boldly proclaim your gospel here in Union County, that they would also go in Alamance Alamance County proclaiming your gospel. God, we thank you for being worthy of that praise and of that proclamation you are the only one who is. So, God, give us strength in that. I pray that you give strength to the Smith family as they prepare and as they go. That you would give them courage and boldness and endurance. That they would hold up under stress and trial. And, God, we pray for the Elon, Burlington, Gibsonville area. That you would be preparing hearts. Even this year, that you would put circumstances and people into the lives of the people in that area. To prepare them to hear your gospel. And to respond in repentance and belief. we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, that Jesus so highly complimented John. And I read you the first part of what he said. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. But I didn't read you the second part of what he said. Listen to this. He said this right after that. He said, yet. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It's clear that Jesus defines greatness differently than our world does. That doesn't make sense. It was the humility of John that made him great. It wasn't the power and authority of John. It was his meekness and his humility. It was that he was like the one least in the kingdom. That's why we're going to spend the next few weeks learning about John. He was a prophet and more, Jesus says. He was the messenger who was sent before the Messiah to prepare the way. The arrival of the messenger was long awaited. The prophet Malachi ended his prophecy. If you look in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, it's one of the later books in the Old Testament, maybe the latest in the Old Testament. And he ends his book this way. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. We know that the people of Israel were looking for Elijah to precede the Messiah. We know it because the crowds asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? We know it because the scribes who paid attention to these things asked Jesus, was John, Elijah? They said, why did Elijah have to come? The people had waited 400 years to hear from God. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jews waited expectantly for God to speak again. Then Luke tells us how God breaks the silence. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Luke chapter 1. There was a couple who had grown old following after God. That's how they spent their lives. They were righteous before him, the text says here in Luke chapter 1. God's word says they were blameless. They walked blamelessly. The names were Elizabeth and Zechariah. And they were never never able to have children. Now, in their old age, they'd really given up hope of it. But God had other plans, as He often does. Zechariah was a priest, and one day, as he was serving in the temple, an angel appeared to him. That's where we're going to pick up in the life of John the Baptist. Would you look at me? Look with me, Luke chapter one, verse twelve. God's word says this. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with is written all over this text. You can't read these verses, verses 12 through 17 in Luke chapter 1, and not just marvel at the mercy of God, who his people who had rejected him and turned away, his people who rebelled and were enjoying their sin while they were in darkness, while they were in sin, he came for them. He's merciful here to provide a child for Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's merciful to provide salvation and he's merciful to be making it known. In John's birth, God proves himself merciful. That's a beautiful truth about our God. He is merciful. When you think about mercy, what comes to mind? I mean, mercy speaks to God's compassion. It speaks to how he loves to help those in need and distress. And isn't that true of us? Aren't we those who are in need and distress? Who have to have his compassion. And he gives it. He's merciful. So what he does here. He does it by providing a child. Zechariah does what you would expect just about anyone to do in this situation. An old man with an old wife. And the angel says, you're going to have a child. He asks, how? Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. See, he was kind to his wife. the angel was angry. The angel heard the doubt in the question. He heard the skepticism. He heard the disbelief. Look at what the angel says there. He says, I stand in the presence of God. It's almost a moment of the angel saying, how dare you? I come to you with this good news and instead of receiving it with joy as a faithful priest would. Look, this is God's word to you. Receive it with joy. You say, but how? And there was a consequence. For Zechariah, there was a consequence to his rejection of God's mercy. That's what this comes down to. God was showing him mercy. I will give you something you have longed for for and desired. Zechariah says, but. Me? Because his doubt here is disobedience. His consequence is being struck with silence. That's what you find here in chapter 1 as you continue reading down. Zechariah's voice was taken from him. As the people were outside of the temple praying, he was a priest in that temple. As he comes out, they're they're wondering what he's going to say, and he's not able to say anything it was the consequence for his disobedience. And in our household, we say that delayed, delayed obedience is disobedience. Maybe you say that in your household. Maybe your mom or dad said that to you. <laughs> delayed obedience is disobedience. And Really, what is doubt except delaying obedience? God, not yet. I need more answers before I'm going to obey. I need to know more before I can obey. We cannot honor God while embracing doubt. We cannot honor God while embracing doubt. That doesn't mean that you won't have doubt, but it means that if doubt creeps in, you ask God about it and move on. You seek the answer and you keep going. You don't dwell or embrace your doubt, you move on. Zechariah had evidently embraced doubt about God's love and power and mercy. And this question was the outgrowth of that. This doesn't mean you can't ask questions or not understand things. There's a difference between curiosity and doubt. This means you should approach your questions from a posture of faith. God, I believe you can, I just don't understand. That's a very different question than, God, I don't think you can. And I'm going to need to know how before I think you can. Approaching God in a posture of faith and trust is the posture he desires from us. And anything else is separation from his desire. It's sin. This posture is the posture Mary had when she asked almost the identical question about almost the identical situation at almost the identical time. It was the same angel giving her similar news that you will have a baby. His name will be Jesus. She said, how can this be? But her how can this be was not an how can this be of doubt, but an how could this be of curiosity? When she visited Elizabeth, look at this. Look at what Elizabeth says. This is still chapter 1. Look at verse 44 in Luke chapter 1. Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And this is what Elizabeth says to her after her arrival. She says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Elizabeth said, Mary, when you said hello to me, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's almost like like Elizabeth knows what doubt looks like and what the consequence for doubt is. And she says, blessed are you for believing. Blessed are you for your faith that you believe that what God said he would do. By the way, can there be any question that God values life in the womb? Hear this unborn John recognize the presence of his unborn Lord John was being obedient to God's call on his life in the womb. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. My wife's pretty pregnant right now. Pretty and pregnant too. And I love, <laughs> I, love, I love to feel the baby move. I have no idea how obedient that baby is being in, the, in your womb. I don't, who knows? But here John was being obedient. He was proclaiming the presence of Jesus as early as he could. And Mary was too. She believed God and she was blessed. Zechariah needed help for his disbelief. What Zechariah found out was that even in his doubt, God was merciful. Even in his doubt, God was merciful. Isn't that good for us? That God's mercy to you doesn't depend on your goodness or righteousness but that God's mercy for you depends on God's mercy and God is merciful. Because God's discipline helped correct his disbelief, even God's discipline is merciful. Living a life of doubt towards God is really the worst kind of captivity. Especially for those who might think themselves a believer who might think of themselves as a follower of God. Here, Zechariah would have. And here he was living in doubt. God designed us for faith in him because it's only by faith that we can know him and have relationship with him, that we can be in uh, fellowship with him. God extends his fellowship to us through faith, by grace, through faith. So doubt takes that away. Doubt removes what God has extended to us. It creates barriers to what God has extended to us. It traps us in our own minds. God's designed us for faith in him, and he is completely trustworthy. He is completely trustworthy. For Zechariah, not being able to speak was a small thing compared to not trusting God. How kind of God, how kind of God to administer this consequence so that he might pull Zechariah back to a place of faith and belief. Our God is kind. Our God is merciful, even when it may not feel like it. You can imagine for those months and months and months, because this was before Elizabeth conceived that he was struck with silence. So you think about about a year here that he can't speak. And you can imagine how excruciating that must have been. They didn't have cell phones or even like really convenient paper at that point. Even then, it was still a small thing to not trust in God. And that's true for you too. That's really important for you to grasp this morning. There is nothing in your life as important as what you believe about God. I loved hearing a story Ryan told recently about meeting with someone and asking that question or giving that quote. There's nothing nothing about you more important than what you believe about God. And that is true. What do you believe about God? What, What do you believe is true about him? Do you trust God? It starts with understanding that We are in need because of our sin, that each of us has sinned. And in our sin, we are separated from God. Jesus didn't leave us in that sin. He gave his life as a ransom. He came to give his life as a ransom for many so that they could be saved. That's the question. Do you believe this about God? He said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the father, but by me. So this problem of our sin is satisfied in his death and resurrection. He takes our sins on his shoulders and he rose again so that we could have life with him. And then he said, and there is no other way. Do you trust God? Do you trust Jesus? Because. If your answer is anything other than Jesus is the only way for me to have union with God, then you do not trust Jesus. You do not trust God. You, like Zechariah, are setting yourself up for consequences. Our merciful God, completely merciful, is completely just. He will give you the right consequence for sin. He's established that. We know that the right consequence for our sin is death. It's an eternity apart from him. We we call that hell. Do you trust God? Or do you doubt? Today is a good day to drive out doubt. Today is a good day to leave no room for doubt in your life. That Jesus came to die for your sins and rose again that you might be saved through his death and resurrection, not by your works not by something someone else did somewhere else, but only in the person of Jesus Christ. Ask God to help your disbelief. Like the father whose boy, who he wanted to be healed from demon possession. He said, Jesus, help my disbelief. For us, what a good call for us. God, help my disbelief. God, help my doubt. Tell me to have faith in you fully. God proved Himself merciful, and Elizabeth had her baby. And this is what we see in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Do you see what is at the end of this in John's birth? It's joy. It's joy. Joy is such an important part of the Christian life. Not a fake happiness, not sunshine all day, but a deep undergirding joy in all things. A joy based on the fact that we are loved and known and at peace with God. Here they rejoiced with her. We can we can know that joy follows obedience. For the believer, joy follows obedience. Really, if you follow this progression, joy follows mercy. Right? God showed her mercy and they rejoiced with her. But when we recognize mercy, when we see mercy, when we recognize, God, you have given me mercy, what do we do with that? What, do we, how, what is our response to our merciful God? How could it not be obedience? How could we not willingly and gladly obey? That's what Elizabeth and Zechariah did. Even as you continue on after verse 58, their friends asked for the name and Elizabeth said, his name is John. The angel said his name would be John. And they said, well, no one else in your family is John. Let's ask the man. See if the man gives us a better answer. And Zechariah said, On a tablet, with a pen, he wrote down, his name is John. He was obedient. Look at verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Blessing God. Look at this man who understood the purpose of his consequence. Look at the the man who understood the mercy of God. He opened his mouth, and instead of saying, man, thankfully that's over, he blesses God. Look how good God is. Look at this beautiful baby. Listen to my voice. Listen, the glory of God. How amazing is he? The Messiah is coming. 65, and fear came on all their neighbors. what happens when God moves this clearly with such evidence? Fear came on all the neighbors. Yeah. And all these things were talked about through all the whole country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. For the hand of the Lord was with him. Immediately after this, Zechariah began prophesying. You can't imagine that his prophecy, as you read through what he says, would have been sad and mundane. (laughs) He is blessing God and proclaiming the coming of a king. He begins prophesying because now he's using his voice in faith. He's using his voice in belief. Where he originally used his voice to express doubt, now there is no doubt left. There's only faith. Look at God. There's great joy for him and Elizabeth. I wonder how many of us suffer from joylessness because we practice disobedience. In the Christian life, how often we aim to do our will instead of God's, and we wonder why we lack joy. A disobedient Christian will have a very hard time finding joy, lasting joy, the deep undergirding joy of the Christian life. God called Elizabeth and Zechariah to obedience. He called them to a purpose. Their purpose in having this baby boy was to proclaim Jesus Christ. God called them to obedience. Why? So that he could send a messenger. Christian, your obedience has purpose too. Your obedience has purpose too. What has God called you to? You are sent as he was sent. You are to go and make disciples of all nations. And what in John's life as the messenger would make him great? It was because he was a humble servant. That's how God measures greatness in his kingdom. I think if you're you're considering for yourself, am I being obedient? Am I obedient to what God wants for me? How are you doing with humility? How are you doing with serving others? How are you doing with proclaiming the Messiah? I think those are really great questions to start with. What we see from John's life, of course, John was special here as a prophet to point to Jesus in this moment, a a type of Elijah here pointing to Jesus, fulfilling prophecies. But essentially the call on John's life is the same call on every believer's life. Prepare the way. Go be in the harvest. Go call people to repentance. John was a humble servant as we'll see over the next couple of weeks in Matthew 23 Jesus is instructing his disciples and he says the greatest among you shall be your what shall be your servant whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted John's life is an example for us to see the mercy of God. That in a life where everyone and everything pushes us towards being great and powerful and having the most and living with authority and being the greatest leader, the mercy of God says, I just want you to serve me. I want your life and I want you to serve me. Because of the call of Christ for us to be his servant, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is a merciful God. Praise God. He doesn't call us to be the most powerful person on the planet. We couldn't do it. But each and every one of us is equipped because of the Holy Spirit in us to be a servant to God. God has taken up dwelling in you so that you might serve him. If that's not mercy, I don't know what it is. If that's not kindness, I don't know what it is. God has been merciful to you. I wonder today if you have embraced God's mercy. Have you embraced God's mercy? Do you continue to embrace doubt or have you embraced God's mercy? We're going to continue singing and worshiping. We believe worshiping happens through prayer. We believe worship happens through looking at God's word. We believe worship happens through singing. So we're going to continue worshiping. That's what we've been doing all morning. It's what you're going to go home doing. As we continue worshiping, I'm going to be at the back. I would love to talk to you if you're saying, if in your heart right now, you feel the chaos and turmoil of sin, and you say, I want to know the mercy of Christ. Wherever you're at in that process, I'd love to speak with you. I say it a lot, this room is filled up with a lot of Christians and we're really grateful for that. So maybe you're not comfortable talking with me at the back, but you might be comfortable talking to the person who you came with. Or maybe you're comfortable talking to the person at the end of your aisle. Whatever it is, we want you to act on what God is doing in you right now. Be bold, be courageous. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you that you gave us John the Baptist to prepare the way. Thank you for sending Jesus who fulfilled every prophecy perfectly. For sending Jesus who could do what we could not do on our own. God, I pray now that as we consider how we can obey you, not just be hearers of your word, but as we think about the example of even John's birth today, how we could be doers of the word. I pray that you continue to show mercy to us. I ask that you would do that in abundance today where we say, only God could help me this way. God, help us to be obedient. We trust you for this. We pray it in your name.